Welcome to a Brooklyn Nets edition of the Evan Roberts podcast, because on Wednesday, June 19th, whatever the hell the date is, the Brooklyn Nets ended the six-year Dwight Mayer by acquiring Dwight ha- Dwight freaking Howard from the Charlotte Hornets. Now, at WFAN and CBS Sports Network, there are a couple of Net fans in the building, and we spend, I'd say, at least 10 minutes daily breaking down the fortunes, the future fortunes of the Brooklyn Nets. And one of those guys is a, a big-time member of the CBS Sports Network. He's actually the producer of the wildly successful Moose and Taz. Well, hold on a second. Taz and Moose. God get forbid that I get right. on Taz's wrong side. Taz and Moose radio program, and that's their producer, Mike Biseglia, who is a, a true diehard Net fan because you put the Nets above everything. Is that fair to say? Yeah, they are my number one, Evan. That is a no-doubter. I'll put the Nets ahead of my Mets, Giants. I don't really have a hockey team, but it's Nets number one and not really a close second. I like that. Now, my reaction was laughing. Like, literally, when I saw the Woj bomb that the Nets had acquired Dwight Howard, my reaction wasn't about cap room or this or that. It, it was just laughter because I can't believe after six years, they finally acquired this stiff. What was funny to me was you broke the news to me. So I'm sitting in the newsroom and you poked out of your office and you came to me. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but something along the lines of, for, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Here <laughs> it happened. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the Nets trade no-name player for a second-round draft pick in 2028. And then you come out with the Nets acquired Dwight Howard, and my mouth just dropped. I was stunned, uh, just stunned when you said it. And then it sinked in a little bit. I said, you know what? Okay, okay. You told me the details, and I was on board. Well, the truth is, and I thought this was the funniest part, I, I happened to see Woj's tweet maybe 30 seconds after it happened. Sometimes you don't because you're not, I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting there refreshing Twitter every 12 seconds the way I used to during the height of the Dwight Mayor, as, as it was called. But when I found out about it, I came into the newsroom and I wanted to tell you, I wanted to tell Billy, who's the other big Net fan. And you, what I thought was funny is you didn't believe me. You acted as if I was telling you that LeBron James was coming to Brooklyn, and I would understand you saying, oh, no way, no way. I'm telling you, Dwight Howard, who's a stiff at this point, is coming to the Nets, and you're not believing me. Like, I just told you something ridiculous. Maybe for some reason I still think Dwight Howard's an all-star. You know, he did average like 16 points and 12 rebounds. I was all excited. That was just weird to hear out loud. You're not expecting something like that. You know, I'm knee-deep in editing audio. I'm spacing out. I'm happy it's 9 o'clock in the morning and the show's over and I can finally decompress a little bit. I wasn't expecting to have you come into the newsroom saying the Nets acquired Dwight Howard. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised, though, considering what Sean Marks does on these draft day or the day before drafts. I guess last year was draft day when they acquired uh, D'Angelo and Timofey Mozgov. But I was just in shock. I don't know. It just just surprised me. It took me a while to kind of understand what you said. Well, you know, it's funny. I I spent right before we started recording this, I was explaining to my wife about this because when the Dwight Mayor was going on, I wasn't with her. So she didn't know the name Dwight Howard from this whole thing. It's been that long. I wasn't with my wife six years ago when the Dwight Mayor was occurring. And I tried to explain all the ramifications of it about the cap room, about Moscow, about what they gave up. But really, I wanted to explain that Dwight Howard was a fantasy. You know, Dwight Howard was the ultimate fantasy to building our super team. And I look back at that and a lot of people say, oh, you you dodged one. You dodged a bullet. 
And I've never looked at it that way because if they had acquired Dwight Howard when they should have, if Dwight didn't opt in on the last year of his contract when he got off that stupid bus in Texas because his teammates made him feel guilty and the Nets had made that deal, sure, Brooks gone. But guess what? They never make the Garnett Pierce disaster. That's true. They don't. Yeah. They build behind Darren and Dwight. Now, do they win anything? No, because Darren was a stiff and we probably turn on Dwight Howard very quickly. But that deal, which would have been bad, I understand, wouldn't have been nearly as bad as what the Celtic deal turned out. So looking back on it, I do have regrets that they never got Dwight Howard six years ago. Now, you're probably not going to have this take, but I, I believe everything does happen for a reason. And as painful and as awful as the trade was that Billy King made with the Celtics, that the Nets gave up 77 first-round draft picks, it did mean in the long run that there's a stable general manager and coach in place right now. So as painful as that was, and maybe you're right, the Nets would have had a first-round loss, a second-round loss, and that would have been so cool. At least now we went through the hell that was the Billy King era, and we got rid of all those draft picks. But now there's a plan in place, and it's stable. So I will say I'm, I'm actually glad that all that crap happened. With well, the look, I, I don't think Sean Marks has done a bad job. I'm not going to sit here and rip him. I even told him when he was hired, when he came on the air, I'm giving you at least four years. I'm giving you until at least you have a draft pick again. With that said, things feel stable and he does seem aggressive and he seems smart and he doesn't seem emotional, but I'm not ready to call him a success until this team starts winning. Now, let me get to this deal. Okay. This is all about cap room. And that's what I was a little not confused, but I wondered about with him because over the last couple of years, the Nets have approached this by taking on bad contracts to acquire assets. That's how Moskov came here. That's how they got D'Angelo Russell. That's how they even have a first round pick, the 29th pick in this draft they got from the Raptors because they took Tamari Carroll's contract. I wasn't sure how they were going to approach this offseason because they had cap room and they still do, not as much after this trade. I wasn't sure if they were going to do the same thing where they would go to Memphis and say, okay, we'll take back the worst contract in the NBA. That's fine because we want to move up in this draft. Now they didn't do that. They did something very different here. Yes. They basically started looking towards next year saying, let's create as much cap space as we can. And this is, and tell me if I'm wrong here. If they're banking on bringing in two max free agents, they're playing the same game that they played Eight years ago, and that's not a wise game to play. Yes, but it feels different to me. And I'll backtrack by saying, one, you're right. What The trade they made this offseason or before the draft is different than the approach that they had, which to me signifies that they've kind of gone over the hump a little bit and can move forward and how they view the trades that they can make. They can have a different approach because they're not as much in the hellhole. But it does feel different in the sense that they do have a lot of young assets, players under their control that they drafted. And I just have faith in this management that they're not going to go out and totally screw it up. I don't think they're going to go and trade Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and two first-round draft picks to get another megastar in here. I think they're going about it the right way where you clear cap space. And if it doesn't work out, then you fill it in a different way. But what's the negative in having $50 no. million? So maybe it doesn't work in the offseason. They don't find the right guys. But they'll have a plan B, C, and D that they put in place. And then they'll try it for the next year. And, and they'll have their own draft pick. So I don't look at it like they're going to go down the same road and become uh, and screw everything up again. 
No, no, I'm not. And I love the trade. And I love the idea that they have the ability to sign two max free agents if that opportunity arose. And more than that, they have the opportunity to improve their team in free agency. But I'm done with the stargazing. The one thing I don't want to do this year is fantasize about Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard or Jimmy Butler and Clay Thompson or whatever combination you want to come up with. I don't want to hear any rumors for the next year. I'm not saying that stuff may not happen. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea what any of these guys are thinking. But the one thing we've learned, and the Knicks have learned too, because I've said this about the Knicks as well, is we got to stop the stargazing. It's great to have cap room. And you're right. If you don't land elite players to go along with the crew that you have, then what you've got to do is spend wisely. I love Rod Thorne. We had him on our show, uh, I guess it was a week ago, less than a week ago. And one negative thing I didn't bring up was the parting gift he gave the Nets. And that parting gift was signing Johan Petro and Travis Outlaw and Anthony Morrow. He did that. Yeah. And that's what happened. So I would also hope that if they don't get elite players next offseason, they don't fill out the cap room with those kinds of free agents. No, I, nice for a uh, Anthony Morrow ugh, reference here. You look at Danny Ainge, I'll use him as an example. He's obviously elite, elite, elite in everything that he has done in the last three to four years. But look how he has positioned the Celtics going into each and every summer where they have flexibility, where they can make trades, where they can bring in guys. And I I think that's the model that they're going with here. Not all or nothing. Let's bring in two max free agents, and if it doesn't work, well, then we're going to fill it with crap. No, they'll uh, they'll adjust and move forward. You need to get assets. You need to get young players, and the Nets are doing that. I, they were in such a bad position, Evan, that th- three years ago, if you said – was that how long it's been now with with Marks? Three years, I guess? If you said, this is where – that's this is the roster he inherited. Let me go three years in the future, and let me show you what the roster looks like. Let me tell oh, you I what agree. happened. I mean, realistically, you couldn't sign up for anything better than this. I mean – Outside of maybe last year, they're a little healthier and they sneak into the playoffs. But realistically, it's been about as good as a transition to this period that you, that you could really ask for, I think. it's He was put in a very, very tough spot. And we knew that at the time, that the position that they were in was very tough. And I remember on the air, you know, one of the 37 net fans would call in and say, what would you do if you were Sean Marks? And I remember... And I'm never at a loss for words on this. I always have an idea, even if it's a bad idea. But I remember saying, I don't know. I have (laughs) no idea what I would do. They're in such a mess. And I like what he's done the last couple of years. And everything hasn't hit. I mean, they traded a draft pick that turned into Kyle Kuzma. We shouldn't ignore that. Yeah, um, but I understand. But I can't. You're going to defend that? I'm not 26 other teams passed on Kyle Kuzma. It wasn't exactly like the. You can't put it all on Sean Marks. And I I hope I'm not coming off like this. uh, and that's sick of fan here defending everything they're doing. Yeah, okay, it would have been nice to draft Kyle Kuzma, but other teams passed on him. That's, well, what, what, I understand. What, and look, he, the draft could have had him. So they, it wasn't and, like uh, Sean Marks missed the boat on this guy. No, and he did draft Jared Allen. Yeah. And if you re-rank the guys from last year, Jared Allen comes out better than where he was picked. I totally – so he hasn't been awful. I, I get that. I'm just trying to be fair. I don't want to act like this guy is, you know, Red Auerbach, no, all right? No, I, I mean, understand. The, the front office read hour yeah, back, yeah, by yeah. the way. Not the co- we know Kenny Atkinson isn't that. That's <laughs> He's even better. I, yeah. <laughs> what it, now? Here's what I'm curious yeah. about. Yeah. And obviously, it depends on when someone listens to this because who the hell knows when the Nets make a deal? The draft is scheduled to occur Thursday night. We're recording this Wednesday evening. 
they're going to move up. I mean, I have, I don't know where they're going, but they're going to move up. And the thing I, I wrestle with is I like Dinwiddie, and I really do. I thought he was very exciting last year. I thought he played a little bit too much hero ball at times, but I think at times he needed to play hero ball on this team. I don't know if he's worth holding on to simply because I don't think he's a part of this team past next year. I, I really don't. I think he's going to get paid. We talked about the other kinds of free agents the Nets may target. So I think the idea of using him right now as a trade chip is something I've warmed up to uh, more so than I ever thought. But what? how high do they need to move? Because they're at 29. Do they have to get into the teens for you to be happy trading Dinwiddie in the pick? Uh, in the teens would be preferable. If they could somehow move to 2021, I would live with it. And I know a lot of Net fans have, and me including, fell in love with Spencer Dinwiddie. When D'Angelo went down, he was the player that really helped them uh, get through that period, win some games. He won that stupid challenge in the All-Star game, whatever the hell that was he won. So that was like the Nets' big moment of the year. But just like Bill Belichick in football, and we've seen from Danny Ainge, you can't be shy and scared of trading away players that that fans like, fans love. You have to be aggressive. You have to be progressive in your thinking. And if if there's a deal out there where the Nets can move up in the draft, you have to be okay with trading Spencer Dinwiddie. You, you, I know he was great, but you have to look at it like the Nets did a good job finding this guy. He was nobody in Detroit. They resurrected his career. They made him a legitimate NBA player, probably a very good player on a on a team that's going for a championship. He's a nice piece to have, say, off the bench. But for the Nets, his value is super high now. Take advantage of that. Trade it. See what you can get. Because we don't know what Spencer Dinwiddie's going to be in a couple of years. Maybe this was the best we saw. Maybe he was a good player on such a bad team that the Nets got a lot out of him. Take advantage of that and trade him. I mean, yeah. I, I you have to think like that if if you're a, a team that wants to contend moving forward. You you got what you needed from Spencer. He proved his value. Now let's trade him for another asset. Oh yeah, especially because I also think that you have to look at every player. And you have to say, will this guy be on this team when they're ready to contend? And I don't mean for a championship, because I don't know if that'll ever happen, but contend as far as being a a legitimate playoff contender. And the more I ask myself that with Spencer Dinwiddie, the more the answer is no, because of just the way the CBA is. If he was signed for three more years at a reasonable amount of money, I don't know if I would trade him. I don't know if I would. But the fact he's a free agent at the end of the year, and I think he's going to do well financially... And you've got D'Angelo Russell, and you had Karis LeVert playing the point, and you do at least for now, for now, in the short term, have Jeremy Lin, and who knows what they do in this draft, especially if they trade up. I think that he's not going to be a part of this team once they're competitive, while Joe Harris is a different story. I don't know what they're going to do. You think they're going to re-sign him? I don't know what the impact of this Dwight trade does for Joe, because I know they took on, what, like seven, eight million dollars more in cap, so I don't know how that... I don't know how that changes their view on what they want to do. I sure hope they re-sign Joe. I think he gives them something that they don't really have. I mean, three-point shooting, he's become a decent defender. He can get to the basket. To me, he has way more value than Spencer does. I have my fingers crossed that they figure out a way to sign this guy because I think he is I think he's a nice I think he's a really nice piece and I would like to see him continue to grow. I think he's only scratched the surface on what he can be. I think there's still more growth. He's a good from player. Him. Yeah, he does more than shoot. Really I mean, I stereotyped him when he first got here, and you watch him every single day. He can defend. He can get to the basket. 
He does a lot of really good things. I'm going to be intrigued to see how aggressive they are in bringing him back. I'm I'm mixed about moving Jefferson, Hollis Jefferson, and Demaria Carroll. There was a rumor after they made this Dwight trade that the original deal was not just Moscow Howard, but it was also Carroll and Jefferson, and they were getting back an 11. And I don't know. I mean, Carroll I get. See, Demare Carroll is going to be one of those things, and this is the thing I wrestle with. If the Nets are going to be attractive to free agents, not just the elite ones, but anybody, they need to be good next year. They can't win 27 games. I'm telling you, I've, I've seen this way too often. You cannot attract free agents by saying, we won 28 games, but, you know, we have a lot of money and these guys are talented. You got to win. They got to be a play. They have to be a playoff team. Seriously, they have to win 38 games between 38 and 42 games. They got to make the playoffs, you know, have one playoff win where everybody's like, oh, wow, look at that. And then maybe you can start to get on the radar of free agents. If you trade the Mare Carroll, who does not fit the bill of that litmus test I mentioned earlier, he's not going to be on this team when they're competitive. Look at his age. And he's a free agent at the end of the year. If you trade a veteran like the Mare, it's going to hurt the team. He is the leader of this basketball team. There's no question about it. It's going to hurt the team. And you need to win next year to try to convince not just elite free agents, but people in general to come here. So you should use him as a chip because, hey, he's not going to be here when they're good. But the negative is you hurt yourself in trying to compete next year if you deal the guy. That's the wrestling I have with the How do you Carroll. think, let's say, for example, they want to bring in an, an elite player and they're close to getting a Clay Thompson, for example, a Kyrie Irving. Let, let's just use those names. How do you think they view Kenny Atkinson as their head coach? Because Kenny's Kenny's tough. He rides players. He's made them better. But there's been moments where you've you've seen him get on guys. How do you think a superstar coming to Brooklyn would feel about having Kenny uh, as their coach? I don't know if they view him in any light, to be honest with you. I think that that decision to come to Brooklyn or anywhere else, I think there are five things that are listed before the head coach. I think the head coach in many ways in the NBA, not that they're irrelevant, but they move and they change so often. That's what we've seen. I mean, look at what's happened in Cleveland with LeBron. Look at Dwayne Casey. The guy was a legitimate coach of the year candidate and he lost his job. So I don't know how he's viewed. I know he has a good reputation amongst coaches. They swear by Kenny. He works his butt off. He's this, he's that. I know Timothy Moskov doesn't love him, but now, Timothy, can I ask you a question? You, you said, oh, you know, you didn't communicate with me. What did you want him to tell you? You suck because you do. He's also I mean, making, what, seven, what was he's he making supposed- $17 million a year. He should be happy. Yeah. Don't you realize you're only here for a paycheck, really? Like, you're here because they needed to take you back. I mean, you would think the NBA players know the business side. They know, hey, I was traded here. Like, Dwight Howard knows I'm really coming to Brooklyn if they even keep him. They could buy him out, which I want to get to. That he's only coming here to create cap room. Does he think he's coming here to be well, Superman? He Does he actually well, think that? And, and Mozgov didn't play at the end there in L.A. or, or the, I guess he got the contract in L.A., but he was barely playing in Cleveland. So I'm surprised to think he would come to Brooklyn and considering everything going on, that he would believe that they would give him minutes. Remember all reports when he came into camp, he was out of shape and he was tired and they gave him a shot in the beginning. And obviously it just didn't work. And Jared Allen came out of nowhere and surprised people. I, I, maybe that was just, maybe that was a leverage play to get out of there and it worked. 
Uh, let me get to Dwight on this. Do you think Dwight Howard's on this team to start the year? Yes, I do. I'm mixed about this because, and you made this point to me, and you're right, and I've made this point on the air on Wednesday, which is Dwight Howard is good at things that the Nets were not good at last year. They got beat up many, many times by bigs down low, and Dwight Howard is not going to be pushed around. You know, when the Nets play the Sixers, they have a much better chance dealing with a talent like Joel Embiid because Dwight Howard is there to defend. He's also a tremendous rebounder. So, yeah, I think on the surface, he helps the Nets, no doubt. And we just talked about trying to win. You know, you talk about changing culture, you got to win games. Here's the negative. The negative is he doesn't fit this team from a style perspective at all. And Dwight has talked openly about developing a three-point shot. Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, I'd like to see him try. You know, you should work on anything. But that's going to be weird to watch. And he's going to take minutes away naturally from a guy like Jared Allen, who I think we all want to see develop. So that's the thing. That is the part that scares me is – if I would say there was one asset the Nets have, and no one's, no one's uh, untouchable on that roster, don't get me wrong, but I would say that he's the one piece they want to stick with the most. He's 19, 20 years old. His offensive game was farther along than I think anybody could have imagined. He was a nice uh, surprise for them. So my, my fear is, is Dwight getting on the court and Jared Allen being timid, loses minutes, loses confidence. Dwight's a mess in the locker room. And it, and it doesn't work out. But then the, the upside is maybe Dwight comes in, does all the right things, rebounds, block shots, isn't there to shoot three-pointers, but just runs his ass off up and down the court and does what they need. But it, it's a risk, I guess, if he if he is on the roster. I, I, I'm curious to see what happens because of the whole Nets culture thing and how everybody's in love with each other on there. You know, they're all flying out to California together. They're getting tacos together. You know, they're, they're – uh, their buddy, buddy, what happens when you put into the locker room a guy that literally every stop he's gone to has had a problem with somebody. Everybody hates him. Yeah. I'm fascinated to see what happens with him in that locker room. Yeah, I mean, and they could take the approach of let's see. We'll, we'll let him come to camp. We'll, we'll see how it works. And if it's bad, if he if they could tell early on everybody hates his guts, <laughs> then you could always just buy him that's out always, and get rid of him. That's so, so fascinating to me because I, I think of it like – you know, you go to your workplace, right? And you're all together, I guess, on a team. And you just think about, you know, there's always a person or two. And you're like, everybody hates that guy. And I'm just thinking to myself, everywhere Dwight goes, everywhere he goes to work, people hate his guts. And I try to put myself in the shoes of where I work. And I go, you know what? People hate him, but but he's good at his job and we have to work with him. But he can't even do that. So that that does scare me. Are you trying to think of somebody in specifically I'm not, I'm not, at I'm our not job down that road? <laughs> okay, because <laughs> it was, it, and it's funny because it was always written about that. That's how everybody felt about Mike. And I remember I got ticked off, and I would say it on the air, saying, "What the hell are you talking? I love Mike. You know, Joe and I have a great relationship with Mike." So, and I guess why I bring that up is I don't know how accurate a lot of things are about Dwight Howard. I don't know. That's not to say, oh, it's fake news. You're, I, I'm not saying that. I just know firsthand that, you know, it was written about, oh, Mike's coming back and everybody hates him. And it ticked Joe and I off and we would say it off air. We would say it on air. Hey, hi. Hi. How's it going? I know we're pretty irrelevant. We only do the midday show, but we like Mike. We talk to him. We have a good relationship with him. I wonder if Jeremy Lin 
would say, yeah, I know Dwight from around the league. He's actually a good dude. Or Damare Carroll as a veteran around the league would say, because it's not just about being teammates with a guy, it's facing a guy. You know, you face a guy, you know them. You know, we saw this with these free agents getting together. Everybody knows each other. It's like a freaking fraternity. I'm curious, you know, not publicly, because I'll never say it publicly, I, more so Damare. You went to Damare. You say, you know, you've been around a long time. You've played against Dwight plenty of times. Is this guy an ass? What's his deal? You, you think he'd be good in the locker room? I'd be curious Probably, to see what he says about that. Yeah, I don't. Well, when I've ever I've heard him with interviews, he comes across just like a goofy, nice person. But I never got the impression of, you know, he, he he's a jerk or whatever. It just it's it's impossible to read though, based on secondhand watching interviews and hearing press conferences with former, you know, with the Stan Van Gundy deal where he put his arm around there and that was awkward. But it is alarming that everywhere he goes. I mean, I guess with D'Angelo Russell, there was some of that fear because of what happened with him and Nick Young and the social media viral video. Hey, can D'Angelo Russell? And from all accounts, it seems like D'Angelo's fit in well here and he gets along with everybody and they're all buddy-buddy. So he's 12 years younger. You know why? Well, yeah, because I think it was fair to look at Russell and say he was an immature kid right, and he, he made 19. a mistake. He was, he's 19 years old in the NBA. He did something stupid. We all know that. And I think in a new environment, getting a second opportunity, it's not surprising to me that Russell has come across well. I, where it's more concerning is when somebody makes a mistake at a young age, they get beat up for it, and then they continue to make mistakes. That's the thing on a baseball side that's concerned me about Dominic Smith. I mean, Dominic Smith shows up out of shape last year. Okay, that's mistake number one. Number two, he, he shows up late to a workout the first day of spring training. That's a problem. Now he's in the major leagues and he's putting a ball through his leg, showboating on a routine play. And after three, four, five times, you say, yeah. dude, how many times do you have to F up? You know, and not that Dwight is effing up. It's that he is now a journeyman. I mean, from his days in Orlando to the Lakers, to the Rockets, to Atlanta, to Charlotte. I mean, holy mackerel, the guy's on a different team every year. And you start to wonder when something like that happens. But real quick, before we wrap it up, uh, what ha what realistically happens at the draft that would get you giddy? They package Spencer, they move up, and they take somebody in the teens that I think could help them. I don't... I don't think they need guard play. I don't. Oh, I won't lie. I don't know enough about who's available in the draft and, and all the players to say who would be a good fit. But somebody that's just an athletic big that can get some boards, can stretch the can stretch the floor. Somebody like that would get me excited. That type. Of player. No, what we did see you, you. You were too conservative. You're too conservative. They make a trade, which I think they will. They probably get to the early twenties, maybe late teens. I'd be excited, but I'm talking about realistic jaw on the floor, holy crap, and I'll give you what the answer is. And I'm not saying it's realistic because I think the only way to pull something like this off would be eating up a lot of cap room, and so I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be jumping into the top 10. That would be the th or top 12, realistically. You know, what? Get the clipper picks, we'll use that as a bench. If you get to that range, the draft becomes much-watched TV. You get really pumped up, really excited, but I don't think, A, they have the assets to do it, and B, it would probably cost too much. So it would be fun, happen. though, if they somehow traded up and got the Cavs pick back. And then they pick number eight after all. I think it would just be full circle that for whatever they traded, that on draft night, here we go. They get the pick back and yeah. it's over officially and it comes through their doors.
in, in the Barkley setup. Well, I, oh, it would be great. I, I think I said to you a few weeks ago, and I know everybody laughed at me because I brought it up a lot to the national guys at the CBS Sports Network because, you know, you guys talk more about the national perspective. I said, hey, I think I said it to Amanda Lauer at DA. I said, hey, if the Nets package Carol Dinwiddie, Hollis Jefferson, and their pick at 29, can I get the calf pick? And I, I, I think I mentioned it to you, and you're eh, probably not going to happen. Everybody laughed at me. But I'm thinking, hey, if LeBron's coming back, you're telling me Damare Carroll and Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Spencer Dinwiddie don't make them better? Of course it makes them better. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but uh, that's not enough no. for the Nets to get them. I mean, they need more than that. I know it's not enough. Let me fantasize for a second. What are they going to give up? Hey, the truth is they're not getting inside the top 10. All right. I, I guess they're going to be in the high teens, low 20s. And we'll see... Uh, if Marks can hit one out of the ballpark, that's the key. And then uh, that's the key. eight months from now, we're talking about the Nets having uh, their playoff run beginning, taking on the Raptors in the first round and a very competitive best out of seven. And uh, Toronto's a little tougher now with their new coach, whatever his name is, Nick Nick something. Nick Nurse. Nurse. Yeah, Nick, Nick Nurse. Good, good guy. Yeah. All right, Pacific, yeah, man, I appreciate no worries. it. Special edition. Brooklyn, every every episode I do, I call a special edition. I don't know why, because I turn the mics on. I think it's special. A Brooklyn Nets, Dwight Howard draft, what the hell are they going to do reaction podcast. 